Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, for the reading of God's holy word. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and I ask you to please stand to honor the Lord's word. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Hear the word of the Lord. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, let us pray. Holy Father, open up our eyes that we might see wonderful truth in this passage this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to take a couple of minutes of personal words to the congregation. Some of you may know, but this is what I, we call a farewell sermon. I am uh, moving on. My wife and I have been called to a church uh, in Florida. And I wanted to take a moment to tell the congregation how much I love you and how much I've loved my time here for the last over 10 years here at Oak Mountain. And one of the things that I love is every time I come to Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church, I look up and I see the cross, that dignified cross that everybody can see, and that you are a people that believe that Jesus Christ and He alone is the way to salvation that we know nothing here except Christ and Him crucified, that is faithfully preached and taught every Sunday without exception, and it is just a joy. In fact, when I was out in the parking lot, I began to sing the song, which has become one of my favorites since I learned that Billy Graham requested it at his funeral, so I figured it's got to be a good song if Billy likes it, and it's uh, To God Be the Glory, and it really captures the heart of Oak Mountain. To God be the glory, great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son who yielded His life as an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people hear His voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory. Great things He has done. For over 30 years, that has been Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church, and I cannot tell you enough how, with great admiration, I have uh, been able to serve here with you with a church that believes in the sovereignty of God and the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But before I tell you some other good things about you, I want to make sure that this is not disingenuous. Because it's hard to say something good to people that you love, and then you say, but I'm leaving. You know, it's hard to believe that. So I just want to let you know that I'm not running from you. I'm running to you. Now, the church that I'm going to has 550 members, not near as many as yours. But I'm going to tell you something. I've got two members that I'm going to have to deal with, and I want to introduce them to you. 
I want to show you this little guy right here. I call this little man. That's our grandson, Lucas. Now, he didn't like having to dress up for church. He didn't think that was necessary. And so we got to get there to back up this family because I know his father. I raised his father, and I know his father's father, and I know his father's father's father, and I know the father's father way back then, and there is trouble in this family. We need to get there. Uh, my son tells me, let me show you, there's another picture of little Lucas. There he is. He, he, he plays and plays. They can't get him to sleep. He's bouncing on his little bouncer there, and he just crashes. His body just crashes, and he's, he's so much into playing that you can tell he's still got his little vroom vroom there. He's got his little car there. They say the only place that they can get him to sleep is when they take him to church and he listens to the minister preach, and then he goes to bed right away. So you see, I got, I got my work cut out for me. Then I want to introduce you to another beautiful uh, member of the church. That's little Ellie. That's Elizabeth, our granddaughter. And uh, she is so fantastic. But I think we're going to have the same problem with her because in this next slide, you're going to see that she's going to be, uh, you know, <laughs> she's going to be saying, Grandpa, hurry up. I got to get to the beach. It's Florida after all. Hurry up with that sermon. Get that done. Uh, so uh, we're running to something, but we have uh, just greatly uh, enjoyed our time here at Oak Mountain and uh, love you guys uh, so much. When I was in seminary, I was recruited to become an, an evangelist, believe it or not, that goes from church to church. And the guy who was recruiting me said, one of the best things about being an evangelist is you nef never have to give anybody a box of Kleenex. You never have to give somebody, a, you, you, just, you just tell them the gospel and you move on. You, you know, when you get to be a pastor, you've got to give out a lot of Kleenexes. And I remember listening to that, and I stopped him. I'm a young seminary guy, and I said, Brother, I'm pretty sure it says in the Bible we're to suffer with those who suffer. And I don't think there's any dishonor. I think it's a pretty honorable place to be to give somebody a Kleenex and to listen to their story of pain. I said, no offense, but I'm going to go into the pastorate. I'm going to be a pastor. And that's what I've gotten to do here at... Uh, Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church is being the shepherding pastor, or some people would call it the counseling pastor. I've gotten to hand out a lot of boxes of Kleenex. And I got to tell you, uh, people will come into my office and they will take my little puff box of Kleenex and they will just keep, I mean, everybody says the same thing I'm not going to cry. And then they start crying. And then they start getting all these Kleenex. And then eventually the Kleenex box is empty. We do not have a miraculous box of Kleenex. They eventually go away. And as soon as the box is empty, do you know what the person's going to say? Oh, my goodness, my life is so bad, I've used up all the boxes of Kleenex. And I want to tell you something about Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church. We have a lady here whose name is Miss Deborah. I'm sure you've met her. And she is such a sweet lady that she knows this. She knows this in her heart, and she has given me extra boxes of Kleenex. So every time that happened, I said, it's all right, Miss Deborah's got me covered. Just a minute. And she not only gives me the box of Kleenex, she actually makes sure the Kleenex are ready to be grabbed immediately. It's an emergency. That's the type of love that shepherds do for the people of God. 
And that's the type of love that Oak Mountain has. I have seen shepherds in this church do so many wonderful things for people in their care that I cannot even tell you how admirable they are to me. I can't even express it. I have seen deacons in this church. I've seen people on the mercy team serve people and help people in the greatest needs and get no thanks for it other than the fact they do it because of that cross above our our great congregational fellowship here because Christ did it for them, so they do it for others. That's all. I was uh, speaking, I mean, so many stories have come back to me. I thank you all for all the emails that I've gotten. So many uh, things have come back to me, but one man who I went to visit the day before he died, and I asked him, how, how is he preparing? Because he knew that his time was very short. How was he preparing? And he said, well, God had me memorize a psalm that I had never memorized before. And I thought, what a man of faith to be memorizing a psalm, right? The few days before you're going to go see Jesus. And he said, and he began to explain to me the psalm, and he just gave me a great explanation of how this psalm ministered to his soul. I said, well, what other supports have you had? He says, well, I love the Tyndale class. At the time, that's what that Sunday school class was called because they have, they have loved me all the way through uh, my getting weaker and weaker. And he said, one thing I love about Sunday school is that in the Tyndale class, they don't have a standard teacher. It's a teacher that comes in and rotates. It could be any pastor on staff. It could be one of our good teachers here in the congregation, and they just keep rotating. He said, what I noticed is that every one of those people who came in and taught us, they, taught, they knew the Word of God really well, and they taught us the Word of God, and they were excited about the Word. And he said, I just became excited about studying God's Word, and, and, and I just caught whatever that is, <laughs> that you want to know more about God and His Word. And so I love the fact that we are in a church from the cradle to the grave. Discipleship in the Christian faith is important to us. So all of you Sunday school teachers who are teaching in the youth, teaching in the children's, teaching in the adult areas, thank God for your faithfulness. Because people are listening. They are listening to enjoyment and the joy that you have about the Word of the living God. And when, when I look out at, at our protection team, uh, we have men and women who we can tap on the shoulder at a moment's notice who's going to help protect our church if the wolf comes on our property. And I can't even tell you that most people want to come to church for what? For sanctuary. But these are true people with a shepherd's heart who want to protect God's people that Jesus Christ shed his blood for. And all of that just is, is something that is just sterling, and it stirs something really positive in my soul uh, for all you. And then um, I'm really proud of a, a new person that we have on staff. His name is Juan. He's very likable. If you haven't got to know Juan, 
then you've missed out because he's a good guy. He's a really fine theologian. He, he really loves the Lord and he really loves the Word. And he's going to do something that I believe is going to help Oak Mountain for years to come. He's already been starting it, but to mobilize this congregation to take that love that you have for each other and to bring it out into the streets more and more so that more and more people can know the love that you have right here in this fellowship. And so, from the bottom of my heart, we are going to miss you. We love you as much as I love you. You see those two little faces right there? Doesn't even compete, sorry. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when my first grandkid got born. I looked at all three of my kids and I said, you've all been demoted. <laughs> and they didn't believe me. My, my daughter came to my office and she had given me a mug that I love that she gave me. And it's my mug. It's on a little perch. And I always have that mug. And she comes into my office and her mug was removed. And the grandkids mug picture was put up there. She goes, I really have been demoted. Yes, you have. My son calls me from Florida, the one that we're moving to, and he says, Dad, I got a problem. I want to talk to you. I said, that would be great, son. But where's the grandkids? Let me talk to them first. You got them by? No, Dad, I'm telling you, I'm your son, man. I'm your son. I'm still your son. I got to talk to you. I said, that's great. That's great. Great. I'll get to you. Where's those grandkids for a second? They got demoted. It's just what grandpas and grandmas do. It's like the Geico commercial, right? It's just what we do. And so, uh, as we uh, open up the Word of God together, looking at James chapter 3, we have this incredible passage about wisdom and how wisdom is to be seen. And we see in verse 13 this grand challenge. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This is a challenge because to show wisdom... It's nothing about being smart. It's nothing about what you have to say. It's about what you are going to do. Are you going to serve people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because you love Christ and those people that he loves? So by your good conduct, let him show or let her show their meekness of wisdom. And look at this word meekness. It's startling because in their culture, they would have never uh, used meekness in a positive light. They would see meekness as weakness. But we know this is coming from Jesus. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, knew his brother real well, the Lord Jesus. And he knew the Sermon on the Mount. He knew the Beatitudes. In fact, the Beatitudes are all over this passage. It says uh, the meekness of wisdom, which reminds us of blessed are the meek. Then it says uh, in verse... Uh, uh, 17, wisdom from above is first pure, blessed are the pure, it's in peaceable, blessed are the peacemakers. And then in verse 18 it says, and a harvest of righteousness, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You can see the Beatitudes are, are clearly in James's mind as he's trying to challenge the congregation here to the meekness of wisdom. And the word meekness is a great term. It's a term that you would use in that culture for horses. If a horse was a meek horse, it meant that the horse is not going to be a bucking bronco. It's, the horse was easily rideable, was easily trainable. 
was uh, easily be teachable. In our culture, we would say if we're meek, if we have meek wisdom, the wisdom of meekness, then we're easily trainable, teachable, coachable by God Almighty. It doesn't take much for Him to get through, even though our, <laughs> our sinful selves, we've got thick skulls. To be meek to God is to be willing to do His service quickly, efficiently, and for all the right reasons because we are trying to learn from Him. We are humble before Him. We don't want to lean on our own understanding, but we want to trust in Him and learn from Him. So then in verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, you get a catalog, a contrasting catalog of wisdom that is from below and wisdom that is from above. Wisdom that is from below is in verses 14, 15, and 16, and it goes like this. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambitions in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. I call this the political uh, animal uh, um, passage for the politician because this is exactly what we see in a political campaign, don't we? We see bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Somebody's trying to get power, and then what do they do? They boast. They say things that are not true. They say things about them that is larger than life that are not true. And so in the end, what do they do? They are so often false to the truth. They're willing to lie to get what they want. They're willing to say things that are not true. And then in verse 15, it tells us where this type of wisdom comes from. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, which is a gift from God, a gift of His grace. Remember James chapter 1 verse 5 says that if you lack wisdom... Ask God, and He will give you that wisdom as a gift without finding fault. He will just give you that wisdom. But we know that this is not the wisdom from, from God because verse 15 says it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. This reminds us of 1 John where it tells us the three enemies of the Christian soul, which is what? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And, of course, earthly would be the world, unspiritual would be the flesh, and, of course, the demonic would be of the devil. So the passage goes on into verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now, this passage scares me to no end. Because it says that if you adopt this wisdom from below, and how tempting it is it for us as Christians to adopt just for a little bit the wisdom of the world. But if you adopt the wisdom of the world even for a little bit, notice what it says, there will be disorder. Disorder means tumultuous times are coming. You are asking for trouble in your life and the lives of those you love. That's what you're doing. And notice what it says. It's this word that bothers me. And every vile practice, every vile practice, Practice. As soon as you open the door, every vile practice can start marching through. We always are constantly trying to make friends with sin and temptation. We're constantly trying to say, well, that's not so bad. I can kind of contain it over here. You never can. Adam and Eve didn't think it was so bad what they were doing, and they bring down the world. 
God says, you do want any part at all of this wisdom that is from below. You want to stick your attention to the wisdom that is from above, which is in verses 17 and 18. Now, let me tell you something about verses 17 and 18. I see this as like a window pane God is giving us, and there's four panes in our window, and in it there are four panes. Because God clearly tells us how to make a good, authentic decision by discerning His will. We talk about ethical decision-making, and sometimes we all need a a pencil sharpener uh, because we're kind of like a number two pencil, and we need a little pencil sharpener to figure out how to make ethics a little better, make decisions a little better. This is what this passage is designed to be. This is the pencil sharpener. For us, so that we can get sharper in how we make good decisions. But it's really not making a good decision in the Christian life. That is more a secular idea, although there's something to that, of course. It's really discerning the Lord's will, pleasing the heart of the Lord. It's discerning what God's Word is telling us to do. And that is what these, this passage is uh, doing for us. In fact, uh, what I love about this is J- uh, James obviously uh, listened to his brother uh, teach and preach. And one of the things that scholars tell us about Jesus' teachings is that 80% of it is easy to memorize in its original language. Did you know that? That's what, that, that is the master preacher and teacher he was. That 80% of what he said was easy for people to memorize. I can't even tell you the love that is in that. The, the amount of time it must have taken him to think of the right way to say that so that more people could remember it easily. Well, James uses that practice that Jesus was brilliant at. Because in verses 17 and 18, he is clearly showing in the original language in the Greek text that he wants us to memorize these two passages. Now, the reason why I know that is verse 17, it says... But the wisdom that first of above is first pure. By putting that little first in there and then the then, he is setting it up so that you can understand there's a logical sequence in this verse. It all goes together. And then the word peaceful, gentle, open to reason, and full of mercy all begin with the same Greek letter, uh, the, uh, which would be our letter E. So he's clumping them all together. Then he has that little connecting word and... And then good fruits, impartial and sincere, are another. They're all the same Greek letter. It would be our letter A or Alpha. And clearly putting them together. And then he sums it all up with one more great verse and the harvest of righteousness, summing it all up uh, at the end. And so, so the way I look at it, as, as I've memorized this and tried to make this a go-to verse in making decisions uh, in my life, when I look at this, again, I look at it like a window that has four panes. And the first pane is I have to have right principles when I make an ethical decision. Verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above, that wisdom that is a gift from God, is first pure. And a synonym for this Greek word for pure is the word holy. You could just as easily say, But the wisdom that is from above is first holy. God says, be holy, for I am holy. Every decision we make, every discerning thing that we try to do for God has to start 
but the holiness of God. The truth-telling God, the God who never lies, who it's impossible for him to lie. That God, we always have to start with his holiness. We always have to begin there and never compromise that. You know, I've listened to the floor of Presbytery and General Assemblies for many years, and you'll always get the minister who wants a con- con- controversy to go away. And they will get up and they will always quote the bottom half of the prayer of John 17. Jesus wants us all together. He wants us to be as one. And that's true. He does. And that is our ultimate aim. But we just saw vows being taken at this church. And what are the two words that are used? Not only unity, but also the purity of the church. In John 17, God, Jesus does want the church to be at one. And it is a wonderful thing when that is true. But remember what he prays before he prays that prayer in John 17. He prays the great prayer, sanctify them, that is the people of God in the truth. Thy word is truth. Purity is always going to be the first place that we begin We are always being conformed to the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. That will never change. So that's the first window pane of the right principles. Now, the second window pane is the right process to go through as we're trying to make a decision. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, uh, full of mercy. When it says peaceable, peaceable, it's uh, really describing someone who is peace-loving. You want to find a, a, a situation that is holistic. In fact, the word holistic comes from this word. It means to look around, and, and the way an ethicist would say it, to look at all the stakeholders in the situation and to make sure you do what is fair and right and good to everybody in the scenario, that you're, there's no favoritism or haves and haves nots. There is love all the way around, the duty of love that you have for everybody in that situation you are going to make sure that you bring that kindness. And then that's where the next word comes in, gentle. Uh, Scholars tell us that this word is one of the hardest words to translate in the New Testament. But Matthew Arnold gives us a famous definition for it, and it's called sweet reasonableness. Not only do you want to be peaceable, that is peace-loving, but you want to be a person of sweet reasonableness. You also want to be someone who is open to reason. This is the only time in the Bible that this word is used. So James is trying to really help us define how to make a good decision. And you have to be open to reason. You know what that means? You have to be equitable. And Do you know what that means? This is one of my favorite words in the Bible. It means you may be wrong. That's right. You have to be open to the possibility that you don't know what you're talking about. You may have not read the situation correctly. You may have misattributed things. That is a great, great verse in the Bible. It convicts convicts me every time. Am I seeing this right? Do I get all the facts right? Did I get all this? Because the fact of the matter is, so often we only have part of the picture. And this is telling us we got to be open to reason. We have to be flexible. The uh, Greek word, the way I would describe it, is beautifully flexible. That, that you're recognizing that, 
that as you're making these decisions, that it's not always a thus saith the Lord. Sometimes it's, it's trying to discern what, what the Lord's, the best path is between good, better, and best, and sometimes that's hard. And then finally, full of mercy. Full of mercy is the word hesed, uh, from the Hebrew word hesed, which is, means covenant loyalty. To be full of something in the Bible means to be controlled by it. And this is someone who has covenant loyalty. They are going to follow through with the commitments and the commands that God gives them. They are going to follow through with their word, and nothing's going to stop that because they are full of mercy, and they know that the covenant... Again, we just took vows here today, and what did we talk about? The covenant. And we're going to follow those vows both for them and them for us as they have joined our congregation. And then we go on to the third pain, which is the first pain is right principles, and the second pain is the right process. The third one is the right practices. You want to find the right practices, and the right practices will have good fruits, impartial and sincere. Good fruits means exactly what that means. They're going to be wholesome fruits. Good things are going to come from the decision that you make when you implement that decision. Good things are going to come from that. Jesus says that wisdom is known by her children, known by her fruits. It's going to be impartial. It is Again, this is the only time this word is used in the Greek New Testament, and it's referring to, to someone who has made sure that the policy that they're enacting, whatever they're doing, is going to be fair across the board. There's no one's going to say, I got gypped. They're all going to realize, no, I, I was heard. I was a part of that. I respect that. And then finally, the last one is sincere. Uh, they're going to be sincere. The policy is going to be sincere. And that's where I get the phrase, authentic discernment. When you've landed on the right policy that God wants you to do, the right practice, it'll be utterly transparent to everybody. They will see the authentic discernment. They will recognize this is from God because every question about God's holiness, every question about God's unity and His peace, every question about did we go about this in an ethical right manner will have been answered in the affirmative and so often, like it says in the book of Acts, it seemed good to us, and who else? The Holy Spirit, authentic discernment, and you move on. So finally, the final window pane is right produce or right production. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I didn't know we were talking about righteousness, but yes, we have been this whole time because now James says, what I'm trying to teach everyone is how to do things in the right way for the right reasons, with the right heart, being right with God who is utterly righteous and brings forth true righteousness and justice to the land. And if we sow in such a way, we will have peace. Now, I have a couple of illustrations, but because uh, I took too long in the beginning, I'm going to have to break it down to just one real quick one and one real quick one. <laughs> 
the real quick one is, you know, when the protection team got together, uh, it was this type of process that they went through to put the protection team together. Because in a church, generally speaking, you don't have a protection team. In the old days, you didn't have to have that. Unfortunately, we're in a new reality, aren't we? And so they had to put together a team that was first pure. It's all about protecting the people of God. But secondly, it had to be peaceable. So we actually found a U.S. marshal. Uh, this uh, woman was, is retired, and now she trains churches. And she actually designed a way to, with great uh, hospitality, with great, with great peaceableness, uh, also protect the flock. And so we adopted that. And uh, we started to implement practices that uh, have been very successful the last 10 years. And we, we hope that the harvest of peace has come, that, that there's protection. You see the, the police in the parking lot. That's, that's from our protection team. You see the police at night when we gather on Sunday night. That's from the protection team. You see the police at our school now. Again, that was a recommendation from the protection team trying to bring that harvest of righteousness, that harvest of protection in this case. And so um, it's been really, really cool uh, to watch. But uh, they've had to learn to recognize that they can be wrong. You know that full of reasonableness stuff that it talks about? We once had a guy come in that the deacons back there thought was menacing. And so they let one of our undercover or under off-duty police officers know who that police officer let me know, and we both went to go check this menacing man out. And you would see the process work incredibly well, and then the police were called to come in to back us up in case this menacing man really was menacing. And as we talked to him, guess what we discovered? He was one of our missionaries. Oh, well, <laughs> he's, he's a great guy. <laughs> you got to recognize sometimes you're just wrong, okay? <laughs> That's wisdom. But we weren't wrong about the process because it did identify somebody that we didn't know and that we wanted to make sure the flock, the people of God, was safe. And then the last one, and I will maybe get you out. The last one is I was trying to think what wise words could I say at the end. And I'm a chicken. I am a chicken. So I've chosen the red letter words of Jesus Christ. And this is the best news I can give you. Jesus says in John chapter 16, 33, In me you will have peace. In this world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In every story that will ever happen in your life, in everything that will ever occur in your life, Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And he will always be the hero, the rescuing hero of your story. And count on that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the people of Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church. I pray, Lord, that you will give them your great graces you have already done, but you will do it more and more, Lord, and that they will experience blessings and your protection. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I ask you to please stand for the Lord's benediction.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.